Hello and welcome to the 250. I'm Darren. My name's Andrew. And we are here hosting a podcast going through the top 250 movies of all time as voted for by IMDb users. But this is a special episode, Andrew. Why is this a special episode? This is a particularly spooky episode. My guest host this evening is Vincent Price, apparently. We thought that we'd sort of break the format and we'd try and record a Halloween episode in the spirit of the season. Of course, us being us, this will probably be released around Christmas. Well, yeah. I, I, um, or St. Patrick's Day. If, it, if, if, if it's not released around Halloween, you can blame me. <laughs> and, and me. Uh, you can blame both of us. It's all yeah, good. You can blame Darren for trusting me to get this out by Halloween. Ooh, spooky. I, we, are, we are recording this, in fairness, a total of five days before, and it may not be feasible for you to get this up online. I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll, uh, maybe Halloween next year. Yeah. Hello, this is our Halloween 2017 podcast, <laughs> um, which I don't think the movie in question will age particularly poorly. So normally what we do is we pick a movie at random, uh, from a random number generator, and we talk about that. But we figured, for the occasion that's in it, what we would do, we'd pick a scary movie. Yes. Um, and what we did was we went through the IMDb and we made a list and we whittled down that list because there was a, some debate, I think, about classification of genre. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, I, w- I was trying to figure out which, which, uh, which movies were and which movies were not um, Halloween movies. Yeah, so you asked, I sort of put together the first draft of the list and I think you objected rather strenuously to the inclusion of stuff like, say... Uh, stuff like the serial killer movies, so like Seven and Science of the Lambs, but also even the Hitchcock stuff like, say, Vertigo or Rear Window. Or even Psycho, I think, as well, you objected to. Well, I suppose I, 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 I was going forward and back on them. And even the likes of Alien. I, 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 feel, I feel like, um, I think we settled on The Shining and... Um, Alien. I don't... No, I, I think the other one was The Thing. Oh, we did actually. Yes, it was going to be it was going to be the Shining or the Thing. Yes. And by sheer matter of convenience, we decided that we would watch Andrew. We decided we'd watch the Shining. Now, um, I, I suppose I suppose yeah I suppose it would be closest maybe to the brief of 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 a Halloween movie. I think even even the Thing is kind of uh, mixing genres a little bit with science fiction. It was was that sort of the division there that it was it was your word because you were talking about well, alien I, being a maybe case. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, there's often um, a thing about um, horror movies, um, like obviously they're designed to thrill and shock and frighten, but it all, it, it often accompanies the um, uh, some kind of uh, visitation, some uh, dark presence has 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 entered a village or or, or somebody. Has came to to visit somewhere where 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 something um, lurks, where something evil resides from beyond. I mean, we don't want to get too heavy into the Freudian stuff because we're going to get into that later. But I mean, there's an argument to be made about it being like the uh, the night before All Souls. So it is a point at which you get the crossover or whatever. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's a certainly an appropriate theme for a Halloween episode. Plus, it's scary. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I I think this this movie um, is is the most. Halloween. Halloween-y on the on the list because it's 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 uh, blurring the lines between the um, the realm of the living and the dead and yes. yeah and I mean it is we'll probably talk about this more in terms of like classification in and terms the of occult like, and paranormal yeah and all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories as well 
But I mean, there, there is an argument about whether or not The Shining is primarily like a supernatural horror or psychological horror, if it's both, or which one is more, which one is less. Difficult to tell what exactly is is real in inverted commas or is 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 objective as opposed to subjective experience in it uh which is one of the things i really like about it but anyway so how do you i assume you'd seen it before andrew i had seen it before um i think um i probably um, a lot of my recollection of um this movie comes through the uh, Simpsons. Simpsons. Yes. yes, The Simpsons is a great frame of reference for this one. Um, the Shinning. Oh, do you want to get us sued? <laughs> it is. No, it's because uh, it's one of the things I would have watched as a kid as well. I've seen the, the I probably seen The Simpsons before I saw the uh, the movie in question. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of imprinted on my mind to the point where there are various scenes where you almost expect Jack Nicholson to deliver the Homer dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me the bat, 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 bat. <laughs> oh, it's coming along fine, Marge. <laughs> all I need is a title. <laughs> I was thinking all work and no beer make Homer something, something. Uh, and I was actually quite disappointed when moments like that didn't make it in. But it, it is, uh, it's a credit to sort of its pop culture footprint, I think. Yeah. Um, well, that- there, there was no beer in this one, but there was TV. There, there was, and in fairness, there was there was uh, phantom liquor, which is the most potent form of liquor. I'm informed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that, that um, don't mess with that stuff. Yeah, it'll you, it'll mess you. Even up. this time of year, you might be tempted to. Yeah, don't, kids. No, no. Just say no. Yeah, I, w- I would say particularly when people when people claim to buy, like when when your when your phantom liquor is on the house, that's when you get really nervous. And I like that actually. Yeah, that was the moment at which Jack. Jack, who'd been perfectly okay with everything happening at this point, yeah, he was like... Oh, I'd like to know who's buying my what? alcohol. And it's like, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, in fact, he kicks up more of us than that. But it's more I've just walked into this ballroom inhabited by people from the 1920s <laughs> being served liquor in a hotel where I know that there is no liquor anymore. But the point where I draw the line is where you can't... Where somebody tries to buy me some of that imaginary or possibly phantom liquor. But we'll probably talk about that when we get to the scene in question. I, I I have a very fond uh, memory of this film because I think I've talked on this podcast before probably when we were talking about aliens about my gran and granddad and how I watched movies with them and how when I was young they showed me movies that they probably shouldn't have shown me and guess what one of those movies was oh I don't know maybe one we're talking about right now Andrew was this alien <laughs> also yes but <laughs> for the purpose of this conversation uh, yes it was The Shining my first memory of watching The Shining is staying up at 1am uh after my gran had gone to bed and my granddad going up to the VHS cabinet and being like, you like those Hammer Horror movies, right? I think you're ready for something a bit more mature. And watching this from like 1am to 3am in the morning at the Just tender somebody. age. The tender age, I would have been about eight or nine. Yeah. So yeah, that, that probably explains a lot to both Andrew and the listeners in terms of my film taste and general attitude. Yeah. And also your taste for carpets. Yes. But we'll get to that later. So, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, Andrew, would you care to sum it up? Well, I, I think everybody's seen the movie or seen a parody of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's about Jack Torrance and his wife and child are. Um, he's he's. Uh, they go to a, a hotel in the off season. There's some uh, seasonal unemployment in 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 Colorado, but not for Jack. Jack, Jack and his family are going to be the caretakers 
of the Overlook yep. Hotel between October and May. Yeah. Um, although it, it, it um, seems things like start to go awry. And it's, sometime around late November. Yeah, yeah. Everything seems to be fine for the first month. Yes. Uh, well, as far as we're aware. Uh, yes, and then things go awry and it leads to all the stuff that people have sort of expected. And we'll talk about that when we get to the spoiler zone. Andrew, is the film worth watching if somebody hasn't seen it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you have seen it. It's worth watching again. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I definitely rank it as probably one of, probably in my top 20, 30 films ever, I would argue. It's certainly my favourite Kubrick, but we'll probably, we'll probably come back to that one. Yeah. Controversially populist that I am. So with that in mind, then, let us see gently into a zone where we're talking a bit more depth about the film. What zone is that, Andrew? Uh, we're going to seg you into... into <laughs> yes, we're going to seg you. Seg, even, or segway. Yeah, you can pronounce it every any way you like, but where we're going is... The Spoiler Zone. Welcome back to The Spoiler Zone. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's talk a bit more about the film, about what we liked and what we didn't. Um, and sort of like memorable scenes and stuff, and, and the impression it made, because it, it opens with this amazing, this amazing introductory sequence. Oh yeah. The, the music and the shots... There's this bassy brass intro. Yeah. Bassy. Bassy. <laughs> Segu. Yeah. <laughs> Hit us up for pronunciations, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they're, it's, it's like this kind of American Alps where it's... it's I, I, I'm, you probably know, Darren, but I'm interested to know how, how, how they got all these shots where they're, where they're like just helicopter shots of, of these amazing sort of fjords and these kind of paramount looking mountains and yeah. it's it's amazing it really is it's, it opens with this wonderful shot and it kind of reminds me a bit i wonder i suspect it was heavily influential in like the evil dead where it's like sam raimi sort of borrows the thing where you have this shot of the camera swooping low over the ground and moving quickly mm. uh, as if like you're seeing something through the eyes of, of something predatory something attacking because it zooms over the lake towards the mountain down the mountainside, around the trees, until it focuses on this little winding road. And on the little winding road, you have this tiny little yellow beetle. And there's this sort of wonderful sense of there is something immediately, viscerally watching and waiting. That's it. You have sort of this sort of, the, as you said, the bassy sound that will make Inception feel sort of, that will whimper. It is, I believe, the soundtrack the film draws from and is heavily inspired uh, by the awakening of Jacob, uh, and in particular the section night music uh, about the Nazis. Ah. So as you as you about the the ascent of the Nazi party in Germany, um, and as you can imagine, it sort of fits perfectly with this tone of ominous dread that sort of soaks through the movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it's um, you 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 get a sense that this this isn't going to be. Um, it's a very good uh, YouTube edit. <laughs> Of, of, the, of, of the trailer, of, yeah. Of The Shining, yeah, where, where it's this kind of heartwarming... Romantic comedy. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's like the... Um, two souls who meet in a, in a, in a hotel all season. Yeah. One of them's a struggling writer, one of them's a single mother. It's like Little Miss Sunshine. It is. It's, it's even called Shining. He drops the the from Shining. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'll probably throw it up in the show notes. It is, it is very worth watching. But The Shining immediately establishes that it is not that film. No. He's, he's on his way, uh, Jack Torrance is. Um, Jack um, Nicholson yeah. as Jack Torrance. 
He's on which is way- the level of sort of of how how much veneer that Kubrick is putting on the performance. Like the performance, we'll talk about this when we get to the performance. But like, you're not meant to think of him as anything other than Jack Nicholson. I think yeah, for the bulk of the film, I feel like his direction was you Just, do you. Yeah, you're we're, Jack. Yeah. We, we were laughing about how like Jack. We were, uh, I came in and you were watching the audio. No, sorry, the um, special features. The special features where they had uh, Steven, uh, Spielberg. Steven Spielberg and Jack Nicholson discussing it. I was thinking about Jack Nicholson being. Um, <laughs> say, 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 saying to Stanley Kubrick, I don't think I can play this character. <laughs> I don't think I can be a creep. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> don't worry, we'll get there in the end. This podcast will consist almost entirely of terrible Jack Nicholson impersonations. But I mean, like speaking of that, it, it goes great from that to the straight to the interview. That he has with Mr. Ullman. And he does a very good interview, actually. Oh, uh, I would like, question the he, goodness of yeah. <laughs> I mean, it starts very well. They yes, say, it, it does start very Did well. Did you find it okay? And he says, oh, I found, I, I, I found it no problem at all. It took me three and a half hours. Would you like a coffee? Well, I suppose if you're having one, oh, I'll, you are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll have one too. You have, to, you have to be very certain of whether you wanted a, a, a coffee in your interview. You can't waver. If you say no and then and then you seem uncertain, then... That's a deal breaker right there. Oh, absolutely. But to be fair, there's there's a little bit of an indication that the Overlook may not have its pick of, like, candidates. Yeah. They they also make a real effort to... To, <laughs> to, to seem welcoming and uh, friendly. But, but also to talk Jack out of this. It's yes. like, now... Now it can be very lonely. Well, it can be uh, extreme isolation. My my personal favorite is is even before that bit. It's the bit where Mister Ullman, who's been very friendly and continues to be very friendly at this point, is like Bill is going to sit in on this, and you never find out what Bill does. And there's sort of a weird sense that like Bill is there out of some legal obligation, <laughs> so that you know when Mister Ullman is called before the Senate hearing or the local court, he can say, "Yeah, I definitely told him, and I have a witness to prove it." <laughs> Because there is, there's very much a sense of like a legal disclaimer about that stuff where they where they are like, yeah, you'll be alone. And look, there's this thing they probably didn't tell you. And it's and I love the way that Ullman sort of relates the story. Like it's like he's it's like he this the former caretaker maybe went a little off his rocker, brutally killed his daughters. There's like eight or ten, and there's sort of like this like it's crazy, crazy world, isn't so it? So Jack, Jack, he 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 cut his his daughters and 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 his wife up, Jack. He. He cut them up into little pieces. So, do you want to see the kitchen? Um, there is there's this wonderful sort of... Char- I actually quite like Mr. Ullman, um, who seems like, for somebody who works in a building where people were chopped to death, and which is built on an ancient Indian burial ground, he doesn't let it get to him. He, is he, he's, he's the... Um, uh, Barry... Barry Nelson. Yeah, I believe. We may have to consult the fact machine. I believe Barry Nelson... Has the distinction of having played James Bond, or rather Jimmy Bond, on on American television. So we're back from the fact machine. Turns out Barry Nelson was the first actor to play James Bond, playing him in 1954. Yeah, with Casino Royale. Yeah, the adaptation of it for television. I believe it was for uh, Mystery Theater or some such. Um, oh, Climax. Apologies, the show Climax. Um, so it's kind of weird to think of that. They had Peter Laurie. As Le Chiffre, didn't it? Uh, yes, it did, I believe, as well. Yeah, from from um, Fritz Lang's uh, M. And also, like, from Casablanca and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. He, And, yeah. 
But yeah, so in terms of... Uh, so that's an interesting pedigree to get offered a job by the first big screen James Bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and, and, and he is very good in this. Yeah. Um, he does. He has that sort of nice corporate sensibility. That sort of like uh, very practiced friendliness. Like there, there is something very disconcerting about how casually he sort of tosses off. Like because he, he knows he has to say it for legal obligations, you know, just in case they find out and they're angry about it later. So he just sort of gently tosses it in. Yeah. And he's like, but now would you like to take a look at the hedge maze? Yeah, it's like nothing to worry about at all. Yeah. It's just a bit of cabin fever. You see, some people can't, can't face it. They go crazy, Jack. And Which is like, well, not me. Which is, is great. One of the things I really love about Nicholson's performance here is that like, it starts at uncanny and uncomfortable and a little on edge. And it just goes from there. I'm, I'm, I feel, feel like um, any impersonation of Jack Nicholson is going to go into Ronald Reagan and Jack Palance and all over the map. It's going to be a long winding road, like those thin mountain passes. We'll see how this goes. But it is. like One of the things I like about The Shining is that it, it begins with... And this is apparently... like The film is a source of controversy between, say, um, Stanley Kubrick and um, author Stephen King. And one of the points of contention uh, concerns the characterization of Jack Torrance. In that King's attitude uh, is that the film should really begin with Torrance as a character you can root for. And a character you are sort of sympathetic to. And I think there's, there's a lot of speculation about why this is. In terms of King himself has conceded that the character of Jack Torrance is based just a little bit on himself. In that The Shining was the first novel that he wrote um, after he made it. After he became famous. So he wasn't... Uh, this is the first novel he wrote where he wasn't living from check to check. And he's um, a writer. He's, he's, he's a former school teacher yeah, turned he, writer. Yeah, he says, what, what, what line of business are you in? You're, he's, he's saying, oh, you're a, writer, you're a teacher. Yeah. He says, well, no, I, I used to be a teacher, formerly a teacher. And now I um, write. Now I write, yeah. And I mean, like, even when he wrote this, uh, King locked himself away in a hotel in Colorado, in Colorado, where he was really disappointed that, um, that Kubrick didn't use that location for the film. Because he actually wrote about the location where he was holed up as a writer to write. It, it, that stuff really annoys me. It's like, oh, obviously Kubrick doesn't know what he's thinking of. One day I'm going to direct my own movie. <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Uh, you Maximum know about this. Overdrive, is it? No. Well, okay, yes, but, but more specifically... But also... Um, a TV miniseries version of The Shining. Oh, which, yes. Which yeah. is terrible. It stars uh, Stephen Webber as, as Jack Torrance. Um, and it's approved by... like King considers it much better than the feature film directed by Stanley Kubrick. Well, it, it's, it's often the closer a movie is to Stephen King's vision. The, the more the, terrible. The worse it is. It is. Uh, there was um, that movie... Um, Dreamcatcher? Dreamcatcher, yeah. Somehow I knew that how was did, How did this get made? Just covered that. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, Dreamcatcher is, for example... Well worth a listen, by the way. Yes, and kind of well worth a watch, but not for its quality. Um, but the thing is, like, here's a quote of Stephen King describing Dreamcatcher. I like the mixture of tones. I like how funny it is and how scary it is. Um, which is, you know, as compared to, say, his criticism of, of The Shining. Like, this is from Playboy in 1983. I'd admired Kubrick for a long time and had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed with the end result. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentlessly claustrophobic terror, but others fall flat. I think there are two basic problems with the movie. First, Kubrick is a very cold man pragmatic and rational and he had great difficulty conceiving 
even academically, of a supernatural world. A visceral skeptic such as Kubrick just couldn't grasp the sheer inhuman evil of the Overlook Hotel. So he looked instead for evil in the characters and made the film into a domestic tragedy that only with only vaguely supernatural overtones. That was the basic flaw, because he couldn't believe he couldn't make the film believable to others. The second problem was in characterization and casting. Jack Nicholson, though a fine actor, was all wrong for the part. His last big role had been in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and between that and his manic grin, the audience automatically identified him as a loony from the first scene. If this guy is nuts to begin with, then the entire tragedy of his downfall is wasted. For that reason, the film has no centre and no heart. It's a film by a man who thinks too much and feels too little, and that's why, for all its virtuoso effects, it never gets you by the throat and hangs on the way real horror should. That is Saint. That is Stephen. I almost call him Saint Stephen King. That is <laughs> Saint. Saint Stephen King. That is Stephen King's summary. Saint Stephen Screen. That is Saint Stephen Screen. That is Stephen King's summary of The Shining. Andrew, would you agree with that assessment in any way, shape, or form? Well, I'll I'll definitely agree with <laughs> the um, the thing about Jack Nicholson. As in, as in, like it's like how how do you create your your characters, Jack Nicholson, and then him being him him you watch him, him in the interview, him, yeah. him, him, him using those words from um, from as good as it gets. And he's like, I take a man and I remove reason and accountability, <laughs> and, and and that seems to be his method. <laughs> he takes Jack Nicholson and he strips out all the recognizable human aspects of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like yeah, it, I mean. We say he, he, he makes a few good choices during, during, <laughs> during, during, during his interview, like stating that he got there fine, yeah. which is always this a good thing baseline. to hear from an interviewer. Yeah. But he, he says everything with crazy eyes. Yeah. Like, the, that's not a problem for you, is it? It's like, no, <laughs> no, that's not a problem. Yeah. And, but I, I think I'm just going to be fine. But, In fact, I could use a little isolation. Yeah. It's just what I need. Yeah. Um, and they're like, that wouldn't freak you out? The wife will love it. She yeah. loves horror movies. And it's the bit where even he says, you know, that could drive some people crazy. And that's not a pointed question that Jack has to answer. That's just an observation that Mr. Ullman's making. But Jack, sitting on the other side of the table, feels like this is something he's got. To, this is a ball that's been thrown his way to handle. And it's like, you don't have to worry about that with me. <laughs> At which point you imagine Mr. Ullman should be going, I, 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 I that wasn't a question. <laughs> his, his response is like, well, um, it's not often that the guys in Denver who recommended you get something right, but they sure have this time. They've <laughs> really pulled you out of the bag. You don't seem crazy. Not one bit. Let's show you around this hotel. And you can call your wife and tell her you have the job. Yeah. I mean, well, this is, yeah, this is like, Kubrick, here's a quote from Kubrick sort of talking about like how he sees the character of Jack. Like, uh, we're talking about how sort of uh, Stephen King argues that Kubrick sees no good in Jack. And Kubrick's response is basically, Jack comes to the, ho- comes to the hotel psychologically prepared to do its murderous bidding. He doesn't <laughs> have very much further to go for his anger and frustration to become completely uncontrollable. He is bitter about his failure as a writer. He is married to a woman for whom he has only contempt. He hates his son. In the hotel, at the mercy of its powerful evil, he is quickly ready to fulfill his dark role. I, I can kind of see why if Stephen King based Jack Torrance on himself, like Stanley Kubrick's <laughs> interpretation of the character might sort of grate a little Stanley bit. Kubrick knows what he's doing, though. I um, do. I, I, the, the, I think it's the first point, actually, that Stephen King makes 
um, is maybe more... I mean, I think what Kubrick does gives more richness to it, but it also makes the movie kind of confusing. As in, what exactly is happening here? Is it one thing or is it the other or is it both? Is this... Is this um, just a hotel that's above an Indian Indian burial ground, and um, it just happens to be a crazy person yeah. and his family? Or is it, or, yeah, or is it that Jack Nicholson is crazy, or is it that it, it, a child has these supernatural powers and they're or, affecting things around him? Or is it all three simultaneously? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll sort of talk about that when we get to the, the, the weird stuff when we start talking about it because I, I think that there's a lot. I think that's part of the reason why The Shining works so well. Yeah, and, and ambiguity. And before, even even before we get into like um, while while Jack is in the interview, it it shoots back to it shoots back to Wendy, who's his wife, and Danny, his child. Danny Danny is also the name of the actor, which is good <laughs> because I've noticed from listening to a few of our episodes, we don't seem to distinguish between <laughs> actors and characters. The amount we spoke about Zoe Deschanel not being a manic pixie, man, pixie dream girl and that her character is truly fleshed out and that Zoe Deschanel and, is almost like a real person. Yeah. And the extent <laughs> to which we hate Ian Griffone. Yes, <laughs> so I can imagine that being an issue. I think I started out quite sympathetic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. No, but, you were but, like Jack Torrance. <laughs> you came to that conversation ready to hate him. <laughs> so, but before... before before uh, yeah. yeah, during the interview, it cuts. There's a number of these weird cuts in the film. Actually. It goes back. There's some inappropriate smoking. Yeah, which is uh, <laughs> sitting uh, around the two, breakfast table. Two fifty true line. Yeah, kids having his breakfast cereal. Mother is smoking, and then we we meet Danny, but we also meet uh, little Tony. Tony. Yeah, they, 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 um, I think it's Tony. Oh, it is Tony. You're right. It is Tony. Apologies. Yeah. I, I, I think I had Tommy written down. Yeah. It's and like, it's sort of like Tommy Knockers or whatever. From, yeah. If you're talking about the king, sort of. Yeah, and, and it's like... Um, He's a little man you, who lives in yeah. his mouth. Are you looking forward to going to the hotel? And it's like, I don't think it's such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> People should listen to Tommy. And, and by the way, your little imaginary friend, this, this uh, boy in your mouth that talks and when your finger moves... Uh, that is creepy as all hell. Like, really at, at no point are you like, oh, I, I, I hope this totally uh, normal family, <laughs> or, or like that nothing bad happens to them. It's like something is awry. Yeah. So, Already, even yeah. before they moved to the which, creepy hotel, which, 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 which makes it kind of a, a, like you don't jump to the conclusion of. Oh, it's it's just Jack who's crazy. It's like there's some <laughs> the entire there's some, family. Yeah, there, there's something kind of like very unhinged about all of them, and there's this kind of nervous um, sort of energy around around Wendy, where she, she seems like she's. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll probably get into that a, a bit sort of later when we get when they actually get to the hotel. And you see more of the relationship between Jack and Wendy. Because yeah. you initially see Jack and Wendy sort of separated from one another. Like you see Jack doing the interview and Wendy is talking to a doctor who's visiting, yeah. uh, who's visiting Danny. Um, and the, the doctor, who, by the way, is totally like, oh, don't worry, it's a phase. He'll grow out of it. All my patients have little men who live in their mouths and talk through their fingers. Yeah. If, if, uh, if any of our listeners have children who have they imaginary don't... friends, like, the kid's a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> should, it may, take okay. care of that child oh it's okay as long as the imaginary friend doesn't live in their mouth and show them i had to pretend to have an imaginary friend oh andrew yeah 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 I, I i figured it would 
make 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 me more likable if 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 I imagined I had an imaginary friend. And that's how that's how antisocial we were. <laughs> but no, so it is so the and here's the thing where you sort of you get a sense of the dynamic already where uh, she's talking to the doctor Wendy's talking to the doctor and she reveals that Jack basically broke Tom break broke uh, Danny's arm basically or pulled it out of its socket. Yeah. She's explaining. Series. So he had been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it, it's like it's it's harrowing to watch because it, it's very much it's abused wife, it's a abused oh, yeah. family dynamic where she makes excuses. Yeah. And 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 the the social worker is there like looking very concerned. Yeah. Rightly so. Yeah. Because it is, it's like he, he'd had, you know how it is, a few too many, he came home, he was already a little angry, and then he just grabbed him, and he pulled him a little, you know, like you would, like you would if you were outside. Just used too much strength, yeah. that's all. So, in, in, in a way, it's, 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 uh, it's admirable, it's, it, like, I admire his strength. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? It was actually the best thing that could have happened. Because he, he stopped drinking. drinking. Here's the question, this happened, is this, this happened five months ago, so he's been sober since then. So. Yeah. And again, this is the this is the thing that plays through the the film is this idea of like Jack going sober. Yeah, like you could you could in many ways read The Shining as a story of addiction and about like Jack trying to be sober and failing miserably. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Stephen King's uh, work seems to focus around reactions and withdrawals from from various drugs, whether whether Which... that's alcohol or cocaine or oxycontin. In the in the case of um, Dreamcatchers, oxycontin causes um, uh, extreme constipation. So the the the, the thought of um, aliens coming out of your butt seems oh spoilers for Dreamcatcher. I like the way that wasn't a metaphor. By the way, that was something that actually happens. I mean, this was this was something that happened. Like when he wrote The Shining, he was dealing with an alcohol addiction, and in his own words, he was dealing with that alcohol addiction through a cocaine addiction. So there is very much, I think King himself would confess that it, a lot of his work in the 80s is, was fueled by those addictions and that sort of bled through into the characters. I don't know if he's ever done Oxy, if that's your next question. No, no, he has. Has he? Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's, I, I, I believe. Um, okay. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure if that's not the case, we, this <laughs> we is something we can edit out. Yeah, I, I believe, well, um, according to some of the research that another podcast uh, how this get made seemed to have done yeah they're, they're, they're oh it was when he was yeah it was painkillers after his accident yes yes that's it exactly that's right. sorry apologies yeah. um so yes it was not a recreational addiction but it was an addiction on no no I, I i think um although people do use oxycontin uh, recreationally oh, I, I believe it's it's primary uses yeah see the more you know yeah welcome back to drug chat <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, so basically he uh, he gets the job, um, and they take the kid up. And I love the scene of the of them driving in the car because you get this is the first time you see all three of them together. Yeah, and you get this wonderful sense of the family dynamic, uh, where Wendy is trying to be. Well, first of all, Wendy tries to say something. What's it? It's like the mountain air up here is so thin, and and you can see Jack is like, shut the hell up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then and then her her um, her like um, of. Um, the macabre comes out and oddly she brings it up she's like this is um, uh, the area where the the Donner party party. yeah yeah and she's like oh that's uh, that's fascinating and then the child is like who are the Donner party well no not not even that when she says the Donner party again you get another you get a very quick sense of how like Jack seems to really resent her because he does like he does a little he does the eyebrow sarcastic thing and then he corrects her uh, as in like gosh you're such an idiot 
And then Danny asks, what are the Donner Party? Yeah, they're cannibals. Yeah, Jack is very eager to share. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then Wendy is kind of like... Um, that might be too far. That might be too far. And he, he, could, he just gives her a look as if to say, like, first of all, you brought it up. Secondly, shut the hell up. Um, it, it's, it's so, like, painful how much he, he, he hates her. And it yeah. seems to be, like, really... Um, there, there's this kind of... It's, it's, it's really tragic because her, her, her reaction is, is, is just completely avoidant. Yeah. Like, she, she has this very kind of howdy-doody yeah. kind of... Uh, there's a sense that Wendy... Yeah, Wendy's sort of very much in denial. Like, she's sort of... She's burying it. Like, she, she represses it. She never acknowledges it. Like, her response is always to put a sunny... Put a smiley face on it or to back down or to change the subject or to go with it. And Jack clearly, clearly resents her. Um, which is, is, is fascinating um, and uncomfortable. And like it, it, it's very well established immediately. And then it turns out that, the, that Danny is already aware of cannibals because he's seen it on, on television. Uh, to, to which Jack's response is, you see, he's seen it on television. He's like, <laughs> what a stupid child I have. <laughs> what a stupid, stupid child I have. You see, stupid wife, how stupid her child is. Are you happy now? Yeah. Um, I wish I wish I was alone in this car, so I, I so I could just like have free free reign to go crazy, I guess. But then I wouldn't have anyone to kill. Yeah, and that would really put a dampener yeah. on my vacation. Yeah, I think I'm, he must have been thinking, like, think how amazing it's going to be when I butcher these people. <laughs> Isn't that going to be a relief? Yeah, um, at least they won't be whining or yeah. talking about the television. So there, there's, there's a lot, lot of stuff. It starts to kind of like fit all together as it goes on. Which is very, like it's very well constructed in terms of like, the, the script is not overly heavy on say exposition or whatever, no. but it gives you everything you need very, very quickly. So like, the, 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 um, like I say, um, and kind of Stephen King's criticism of it was that there's too many things going on, but they start to kind of... Um, Coalesce. Uh, yeah, like, like there's room 237. Two, which, which seems to be this kind of like spooky Bermuda Triangle sort of thing. We, 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 we meet the character. Mr. O'Halloran. Who, yes. who is phenomenal. Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran. The, yeah. um, the chef. The chief chef. And he, he played by Scatman Crothers. Who is, is also amazing. Which is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> and he, 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 yeah, he turns out, yeah, he also has The Shining. Which is um, the ability to his talk mother had it. Yeah. Um, which, which is interesting, right? So the fact that he got a hay hat and his mother had it, and I sort of I was wondering when I was watching it, does that mean shiny? Oh, what is genetic? His, or was it his grandmother? It was his grandmother. They'd hold yeah. entire conversations in their mind. But does that mean shining is genetic? And does that mean then that um, that what's his face that like uh, Jack and maybe even Wendy are, are shining themselves in the film? Like so, for example, later on when they start they, seeing stuff, they might have recessive shining. Recessive shining. They might it's skip a, a generation. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, are they? Is it? You know, part of me sort of wondered that. Like, I, I think it's fascinating how much is going on, and, and it's a very Stephen King sort of concept. Like, he wrote this in. When did he write this? And he wrote this in like five weeks, uh, two thousand words. So he wrote like five thousand words of this a day when he was writing. Uh, and at that point, it's sort of like automatic writing. He talked about himself how he just grabs something and throw it in there uh, because why not? Yeah. And you get a sense. I that comes much. across. That really does come across because it's like it's about telepathic kids. In a hotel built on a uh, Indian burial ground, with a father who's dealing with alcoholism, 
who maybe goes psychotic and travels back through time. And you're like, okay. Yeah, oh yeah. And Somehow this works. So is that the only thing about the child? Sounds like a fairly dull child. No, yeah. no, he's, he's got this imaginary uh, being with him. It's, um, it's never really clear whether, whether it's an, imagine, uh, an imaginary, imaginary friend. friend or whether he's actually possessed or something. Or whether or not it's his way of processing the gift that he has. Yeah. I mean, what, in the novel... Because, by the way... Uh, sorry. Um, no, go ahead. Dick Halloran is kind of like, oh, you've got to shine him. Me too. Like casual sort of thing. What's this about that voice that tells you to do things? That seems kind of <laughs> weird. This, what kind of things does this uh, voice tell you to do? Um, does he show you things? Yeah, it's like, you can't, who, who can't, who told you you can't say that? The voices didn't. Who? Tony? Well, this, this isn't actually anything that I'm familiar with at all. I thought I'd met a kindred spirit. Yeah, yeah. You're just weird. Yeah, this is very intense. Yeah. Like, and, and one of the things is, though, I like the idea that, like, like, nobody else in this film, O'Halloran has, like, he has one very special area of knowledge and that he knows about Shining very well, but he clearly has no way of dealing with the fact that the hotel is haunted or the weird boy who lives inside yeah. to- Danny's mouth. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's, he's aware, because, like, the, uh, well, like, he isn't, he isn't. It's like, is there something wrong with this hotel? Are you scared of it? She's like, no, not at all. And, and then it's like, what about Room 237? It's like... Oh, there's, there's nothing go, going on in room yeah, 237 at all. Yeah, absolutely still, yeah. Oh, and, and that's got nothing to do with you. And don't <laughs> go into that room. Under any conditions. Under any conditions. I want you to promise me now that you won't <laughs> go into that room. And by the way, it's no big deal whatsoever. There's nothing there. I'm not scared of it at all. But don't ever go in there. Which kind of makes me, like... I know there's probably... It's probably not something you can kind of broach with the parents. So your son may be a little psychic and the hotel may be a little haunted... Just keep him away from room 237. But it does seem very laissez-faire that he, he leaves knowing that Danny is part psychic, knows there's something spooky in room 237, is a kid, and thus going to be very bored and very, you know, sort of have lots of free time while he's up in the Overlook for like five months and just sort of count on him. I hope to... that thing that already happened doesn't happen oh, again. Yeah. And I hope that that thing I tell the little boy not to do, he definitely doesn't do. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, were there consequences to going to room 237? Or was it as spooky as the rest of the, <laughs> the hotel? hotel like the corridors, where these two <laughs> little girls, girls who were butchered, by the way, just kind of walk around with impunity. Yeah. Um, well, they're there even before the hotel packs up. Like, while yeah. they're packing up, they pop in and say hello to Danny. Yeah, yeah, then there's those elevators that are full of blood. Yeah. That normally gets off in the second We never part. see them... Uh, elevators use when they're not full of blood. I imagine they were just full of blood throughout the, the whole production. Yeah, and uh, Jack like, had never don't bothered open to those turn. elevators. Yeah, we use them to store the red wine. Yeah, turns out our, our wine cellar is is very full this time of year. So there's there's also um, has um, aside from the whole kind of um, tension of the marriage um, and 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 the fact that Jack is going insane anyway. And, he, and was, he hates his wife and child. Always crazy, Jack. Yeah. Hates his wife and child. Is going um, to be locked up with them for five yeah. months. There's more. Uh, yeah, there uh, um, spooky continuity errors, which are which are really great as well. But I mean, the hotel is built upon an ancient Indian burial ground. Which yeah, we touched on, which is like something from Poltergeist, which is interesting, right? Because. And yeah, and and, and and was also shot on a on, a, <laughs> on, on, on an Indian burial ground. 
But um, no, the thing is, well, you know that it was actually the exteriors were used for a hotel in a uh, hotel actually in Colorado, I believe. Whereas the close exteriors were built on a set, which is it's fantastic. Yeah. That's why they don't match up. Um, and the hotel itself, the actual interior of the hotel, apparently what Kubrick did was Kubrick well, looked... Well, like the kitchen is a set? Yeah, the kitchen is a set and the, the rooms are a set and everything like that. And the, the, oh, sorry, the hall is a... the Sorry, most of the hotel is a real hotel. But parts of it are dressed up and based upon... Kubrick got pictures of hotels that he would like to use. Ah. And he basically stitched them together. Okay. I said, I'd like to use this bit from this oh, bit. I can believe that the ballroom was definitely a set. Yeah. 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 And stuff like, say, the, the quarters where the, uh, where the Tarn family are living. Yeah. Um, like there, that's, that's something completely different from anything else in the hotel. Because mm. Kubrick saw a picture of like, a different kind of hotel and was like, yep, I want their quarters to look I like this. I feel like the big room where he does his writing, that that's, the actu- uh, that's an act- not a set. Uh, I don't know actually I'm not entirely yeah, sure it, does, it doesn't feel like that does but, it? Uh, well that's the reason why they had to use room 237 as opposed to 217 in the book uh, because where they were shooting some of the, the location work uh, or some of the set or some of the work on the on the standing hotel the hotel actually had a room 217 and the management were like yeah we'll let you film this but if you put a crazy old <laughs> dead woman in, in one of our rooms that actually exists we might have a problem with that so I Kubrick know. being uncharacteristically like considerate I was like, okay, I can change that. I think that would be a boon yeah. for the hotel, surely. <laughs> People staying like, overnight in... I believe that might have also been, like, um, uh, Steve, one of Stephen King's gripes. Well, he, I, I think you mentioned when we were watching the movie another of his kind of persnickety sort of things that don't really matter. Yeah. One of them, I think, was that it was from 217 to 237. And, of course, um, fans of... of of Stephen King get annoyed about that as well for a reason that's beyond me. Well, I mean, like, you couldn't make this movie today because you'd have people on the internet complaining about changing the source material. Yeah. Like, you'd have that sort of angry nerd culture that's like, the text must be respected. Mm. Even when the text works grand in prose, because I've read it and it works well, but the film works infinitely better in terms of film. Yeah. But, I mean, there's stuff like, say, The Beetle, for example, The, the Beetle That Jack Drives, which yeah. is like a wonderfully petty change from Kubrick. Like, in the book, it's described as a red beetle and a yellow snowplow. Whereas in the film, it's a yellow beetle and a red snowplow. And later on in the film, when uh, O'Halloran is desperately trying to get to them, you can see there's been a car crash at the side of the road where a red beetle has been crushed under a giant lorry, which seems very much like Kubrick sort of maybe raising a digit gesture. Some of the studios are like, we're just having a look through the budget. There's a red beetle that you've crushed. Um, why, why, why is there a crushed red beetle? Oh, it's a car crash. That's fine. You see, I'm trying to make it. A, <laughs> I'm trying to make a little point against Stephen <laughs> King. Trying to make fun of him. That I've dest- destroyed his book by putting this yellow beetle into it. But you see, he had a red beetle in his book, so I crushed it. And it's like, no, it's it's fine. Just stop Just, talking. Yeah, we're okay. We've we've already approved this, it. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah, it was actually, to be fair, the, the reason Kubrick made The Shining was to make money, apparently, was because he did Barry Lyndon beforehand, uh, which was very expensive, very well, re- well, not very well received, and The Shining wasn't very well received, but um, it was subsequently repraised. But he wanted to do a film that would be critically successful and commercially successful, that would allow him to go on and do other projects that he wanted to do afterwards with bigger budgets. Mm. So, like, The Shining was basically Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick doing a populist film. Mm. Uh, and that's why he picked a horror. So this is like this is like his his accessible film. Yeah, and it's full of all these little nooks and crannies and weirdness and sort of inconsistencies that I think really add to it. You know, let's 
You talk about Danny for a second, the yeah. the the character and and the child. Is this very monotone staccato delivery, which 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 I think works very well. It certainly doesn't seem like a normal child yeah. at any point. Yeah. Um, I mean, like Kubrick does these things. Like, sorry. No, go ahead. It's like, well, um, how do you feel about moving to this hotel? It's like it's okay, I guess. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's got a little man who lives in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, as yeah, because the, the child's the child's um, voice, uh, kind of a method of saying things, isn't weird enough already. He's he's got like a level two there, where, where... <laughs> and you amp up. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the one of the things I really like about it is the way that um, Hubert intercuts like these shots of Danny freaking out, mm. which would look ridiculous except for the way that he cuts them in. So. What he'll do is he'll show stuff like the blood coming out of the elevator. I think because I think the kid's really good in those yeah. as well. Sorry, yeah. anyway. But the, like the blood coming out in the elevators, and you cut to Danny looking horrified. Or like there's a bit later on where um, because we're in the spoiler zone, Mr. O'Halloran gets axed, which is the most predictable twist ever. But it's a scene that really works. Oh, the black dude dies first. But it's a scene that really works because you see the axe going, you see the blood spurt out, but then you cut really quickly to Danny freaking the hell out. And then you cut back and it's it's just really intense. It makes and it, works it, really well. it does. very effective. It does, because it's not so much about watching uh, the, the character get killed, it's about watching Danny watch the character get killed and imagining how terrifying that is, not just for an audience that's familiar with the horror scares, but for a little boy. So, yeah. So, so, so there's these time lapses. If we, yes. we, we, um, we arrive at the... Um, after the whole kind of, after the interview, it, it flashes to uh, closing day. Yeah. And then after that, it's like one month later. And well, this it, all comes up on the screen, like... Yeah, little title cards. It's, it's very well done, like, because it's, it's Mr. Ullman, they're walking through the corridors and they're like, oh, and uh, Wendy's talking about how busy it is. And Mr. Ullman's like, you know, in, in come five o'clock, you won't, you, you won't even remember we were here. And then it's just black title card one month later, um, which I think is very effective. It's sort of... And then it's and then the next the next title card is something like uh, Wednesday or Thursday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, and then the title card after that is Thursday. Yeah, and, and then, then Saturday. Per, perhaps yeah, I think it jumps to and Saturday, Monday. Monday, Wednesday, and then and they then get then gradually then, more precise, which is yeah, what's really it's effective. Like Eight a.m. Yeah, two p.m. No, four p.m. Yeah, like, which yeah, I I I kind of it 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 heightens the kind of suspense of it. It's it, it's you get the sense that like it's oh counting down things to are something. coming to a T. Yeah. yeah, like you get the sense that everything was reasonably okay for the first month, even if like when you cut to that first one month, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, um, but it's being wound. Yeah, it sort of escalates the point where you spend more time in in the time periods and things seem to come together. Like there is this really weird disconnect. Like you're talking about how like continuity errors that happen between shots, like. Kubrick, and I, I honestly, I think Kubrick is a precise enough filmmaker that this stuff doesn't happen by accident. It's not a, it's not a continuity error in the sense of somebody forgot to put something where. But it's like objects will move in the background of a shot. Like there's a scene where Wendy comes to visit Jack while he's writing, and there's a chair behind him in one shot. Cuts back to her. Cuts back to him. The chair is gone. Cuts back to her. Cuts back to him. The chair is there again. And you get the sense of, there's this weird sense of space as well. Like, there are windows in the hotel where there shouldn't be windows. Like, for example, Mr. Ullman's office is behind the elevators. And there's a corridor that goes on a good 20 or 30 feet. Yet, for some reason, when you go into it, there's a window in the centre back of it. Like, there's no way for that window to be there, logically speaking. Um, there's lots of little choices like that. Or even the, the route that Danny takes on his, uh, on his little 
tricycle makes no sense in terms of what you know about the layout of the hotel. And I think that's I think that's conscious on the part of Kubrick in that like we talk about how it, it's Wendy and Jack and Danny, but the Overlook Hotel is a character of itself. And like it's very that's, you know that's a pet peeve of some people. What? To describe a location as a character. Is it a pet peeve of you, Andrew? <laughs> um, when you I, 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 I know, I know, I know it is something that's, um, that certain people don't care for. My mind isn't made up on it. I can convince you. Of course, you the, 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 the fifth character in Sex and the City is New York City. Okay, that, that's maybe pushing it a little bit. But uh, in terms of, say, that, like, there's this sense that the hotel itself... Spooky. Is spooky. Yes, Andrew. Um, there's a point that the hotel itself is malevolent, like that the physical place is. And this is, like, this is interesting because yeah. when, when O'Halloran is talking it's to Danny... It's pretty much haunted, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not just but, an Indio burial ground either. No. And it's not just these people who are killed. No. It's, and it's not, it's like this weird 1920s sort yeah. of like party that never ends. Yeah. There's an interesting bit where like, where Danny's talking with O'Halloran and O'Halloran says that some things happen in places that are so horrible that they leave a mark like burnt toast. And the idea that people who can shine can pick up on that. Which is why I was sort of thinking... That 20s party was so horrible. It really was. They ran out of champagne. (laughs) And it was just dire, let me tell you. But I mean, stuff like... That's why I think that maybe uh, Wendy and maybe Jack are like repressive shiners. or You know, they've got a repressive shining gene. Because maybe that's why the hotel is able to screw with them as much as it does. Like, there's a sense that... And I kind of wonder, like... You're aware of the fact there are all these crazy theories about The Shining, which we'll talk a, a little bit about some of them later. But one of them is the idea that The Shining is actually a metaphor for the genocide of the Native Americans. Oh. Uh, so it's got this big hotel. It's built on an Indian burial ground where they repelled attacks. A sense that it's a, something like it's like America itself. It's this grand party, this big capitalist institution where white Europeans come and celebrate where black people are referred to using the N-word, for example, uh, where Grady refers to O'Halloran yes. using that, to where it's decorated using what Mr. Ullman refers to as Nav- authentic Navajo design, uh, which is all by white people for white people. And there's sort of this sense of this, this metaphor of being like built upon the remnants or the ruins of like a place that was taken by the European settlers and the sort of the scars that it leaves. Yeah. Wendy is like, are those, um, are those tapestries? It's like, yes, that's authentic cultural rape. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, and everything... It was built on a Indian burial ground, so we yeah. killed all the Indians. Took their tapestries, hung yeah. them on the wall. Um, but there is... Thankfully, this... there was a burial ground right there. <laughs> we could just put the bodies right there. But there is, like, I, I get the sense that there is this, and then that's the blood in the elevators and stuff like that. Like, and I think there's also like a weird sense of like, and it's something that comes up in American horror quite a bit. And I wonder if the, like it's a cultural anxiety, but there's a fear of like the wilderness rejecting the white settlers. So you have this sense of like the opening shots where there's the camera panning like through the wilderness and over the lake and sort of zooming in to show how insignificant. Like, Do you mean like the evil dead and stuff like that? Yeah, that, but well, no, maybe not like the Revenant, for example. Um, which is a great one. It's a survival That's one horror. that you um, put in the list of, of, of horror, horror movies. That Andrew objected to. It's a survival I mean, I haven't book. seen um, the, the, referen- the, 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 the Reverend. The Reverend? Uh, you're not Reverend to the Revenant? But oh. it is. It's, it's okay. It, it, most people wouldn't classify it as a horror film because of the prestige picture. But I would argue it's, it's that sort of genre of 
like the American wilderness trying to kill the white settler, like the um, the idea that the European settlers are being rejected by their homeland. It's, it's something that comes up in, like even in Green Room, for example, the idea of the untamed wild spaces at the heart of America, where horrible things lurk for people who came exploring there. Uh, which is, I wonder, is that a representation of, say, guilt over stuff like the genocide or guilt over how the land was taken or manifest destiny or anything like that? Like, is this idea of, like, is the overlook, which is, is overlooking the genocide upon which it was built, is that itself some sort of revenge upon Jack? You know, I don't know. Maybe that's reading too much into it. No, I, like, I think it, there could be something to that. Or, or it could just be something that's, um, like, another layer that's uh, Stephen King just, just <laughs> threw onto it. On yeah. Like, um, to be fair, there is, this is it's, not... Just, it's like he's making a coddle or something. <laughs> Like a tapestry, a finely woven tapestry. Let's throw some of this beer in. Let's throw some alcoholism. And yeah. potatoes, because I have them. <laughs> yeah, no, there is. Like, I mean, to be fair, um, all of this has been well explored by other, other writers. Like Bill Blakemore in 1987 wrote an article, The, the Family of Man in the San Francisco Chronicle, in which he made, he made this argument, basically, that, uh, that the real message of it is. I mean, there's also an argument that it's about the Holocaust. Yeah, well, well the... the um... The, the invasion of the American continent by Europeans and the vanquishing of the Native Americans is, all, is often described by the likes of Quentin Tarantino, for example, as like yes. the first American Holocaust. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting that we were talking about like Inglorious Bastards, but it, it is like Kubrick always wanted to make a Holocaust film. Yeah. He found it as a subject that, in, that interested him, but he... Like uh, Martin Scorsese, and I think Martin Scorsese was on the list to do Schindler's List. Uh, he was one of the candidates. So on the Schindler's List list. He was on the Schindler's List list, uh, but he turned it down because he felt as a Roman Catholic he couldn't do it. But I think that you can see like uh, Shutter Island, which is quite similar in premise to um, to The Shining, where it's a location that is possibly haunted uh, by guilt and reminiscence and sort of like responsibility and, and the past atrocities. Uh, I think you can see that in it as well. So I wonder if, if there is a, like something to be said for the merits of The Shining as as a Holocaust film. Plus, S- it, it, Scorsese felt as a as a non Jew that he would be too much on the side of the Nazis. That was obviously what he was getting at. <laughs> no, I think it was more that he felt it wasn't his story to tell, to tell and he didn't want to appropriate it. And that's why that's why uh, Spielberg didn't want to do it. I think we we we've gotten very very serious. We and, really and have. I, I think. Um, Something that's remarkable about this movie, like we laughed an awful lot, and I think a lot, almost all of it came from uh, Jack, Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's performance. It's like she, she, uh, because the child goes into room two three seven, of course, yeah, um, and it comes comes back with uh, these choke marks on his neck, and then she thinks it's him, and she runs off, but then she eventually comes back to him with a baseball bat, and then she's not going after him. She's explaining to him that there is a crazy woman in in in, in a room. This this is this is after um, this is after several scenes where where you've seen Jack just like staring homicidally out, out, out of the, the window, window as his and, wife and son play, and the conversation they have uh, with the spooky continuity errors where where. She, he's like, she's if like, you hear me working or yeah. whatever the hell else I'm doing, which is, which stay is, which the is hell hilarious. I, I mean, I mean, it's terrible, but 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 the the juxtaposition of like, hey, hi, um, yeah. I was thinking if you'd like to go for a walk, 
like if you want to take a break from your um, and you're, you're probably quite tired stressful, yeah. and you probably need to sleep and if you want me to make a sandwich um, I can I can come by a bit later it's like get it into your mind which is yeah, the, when I'm working in here and you come in you interrupt <laughs> it takes me time to get back to where I was which is like it's, it's he's so unaccountably angry I but but anyway yeah it, it so he's demonstrated his, his sanity, but the hilarious it's his sanity. Like, his, his, his his the hilarious aspect of that scene where she comes in and says, "There's a crazy, there's, there's a crazy woman." He's like, "We might have to bleep this." But he's like, "Are you out of your f-ing mind?" <laughs> it's like you're out of your mind. It's like the uh, you're already hallucinating <laughs> bartenders. Pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. It's like he re- he knows he's he's lost his mind, but he still like has to kind of hate on his wife a little. Well, here's the thing, right? When do you think Jack begins to lose his? Okay, well, Jack is already unstable when he gets there. But part of me sort of wonders, like, there's that point after like a month when he kind of like wakes up and it seems like yes. he's kind of like hung over on an even keel, uh, though. No. I don't know. I I thought that scene. There's a scene where she's made he breakfast. He's kind of happy, and he's like, "Oh, I like these eggs this way." And but on like, the other hand, he's like, "I never want to leave." I yeah. think when I when I first drove up here, I felt like I'd always been here. Yeah. Um. And there's stuff like that when he's dipping the egg in, and it's like there's a week. Like I wonder if you're meant to think he's hung over, like in, even though there's no booze in the place because he's waking up at eleven a.m. He's checking his. Well, no, tongue. he's 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 just not sleeping. Right. Um. And. Yeah, that's uh, and and things are getting progressively worse to the, to 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 the point that Danny gets in touch with because um, if you're worried that uh, Dick Halloran is gone, he he's he's not gone completely. He is in bloody Florida, like he's in Miami, Miami. Uh, we, and, in a room that is very tastefully decorated. Yeah, we're we we were we were um, discussing um, having a band called. Dick Halloran's bedroom erotica, or Dick Halloran's bedroom pornography. It's it, basically his 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 room is is decorated with surprisingly with, tasteful actually because it, yeah. it's symmetrical. There's lots of there's lots of naked women with afros in yeah. his room, but and they're it, they're positioned opposite one another as well, so there's symmetry to it. And his house is amazing. And it really is. He's got all of this like wooden paneling and like a red phone and, and a bar. <laughs> And a bar, like it's and just full of porn and booze. Yeah. And there's like these blinds that just cast this kind of like Wonderful white shape. light through through like in these little bars across of the, 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 the whole room while he's on his red phone. But it is, it's um it looks absolutely stunning. And part of me sort of wonders at that point, like if Dick Halloran told you to stay out of room three seven, is that where he keeps his less classy around? <laughs> he yeah, he he's so anyway. Jack has been told that there's this woman, the crazy woman. So eventually he, he decides, okay, I'll, I'll go in and see um, if there's anything in there. I'll be right back. Because obviously this is just you being nuts because you're known to be crazy. Um, I am perfectly sane on the other hand. Yeah. Well, walks into room 237. And there's this uh, young naked woman. Well, not even that. The carpet design is particularly notable because it's uh, there's this weird phallic motif running through the carpeting in the overlook. We've been through this before, Darren. Not everything (laughs) is a penis. Sometimes, in this case, I would suggest that perhaps they are. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, there may be a point to that because immediately... 
when he sees this woman. It's not like, who is this woman? What is she doing in this creepy hotel? No, he he, he just has like... A this meet... wonderful look from John yeah. Nicholson. It's, it's... I believe it's it's called Titties. Where where he's just just overcome by, yes, this is amazing. Finally, that's, that's what you got from that look on his face. That did not look like a man who was. Uh, that looked like a man who was processing lots of conflicting emotions, which were like, yes, I'm aroused now, but I'm also wasting valuable family killing time, and, uh, and the demands that you have to balance. You know, I feel like he like he is one hand for killing his family. His other hand for his his new beautiful lady naked friend. woman. Yeah, starts making out with them with her, and all of a sudden, uh, she's not young, beautiful naked woman. She's she's all scaly, old, creepy, decayed woman who I think is meant to be the wife of the caretaker. Possibly is it? I have no idea, but <laughs> that's never that's never really explained either. Yeah, like he he just kind of like um, comes back and. <laughs> his his wife is like, oh, it's, it's okay. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. Didn't see one thing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all there. Um, you... So that's a room in, yeah. in, in, in this hotel. hotel. Maybe we should check the other rooms. Like, no, no. The obvious thing that happened here is Danny made it up. Which is like, The Shining is, I think, a great, one of the reasons a great horror is because it captures, like for all the spooky stuff, for all the paranormal, is it, oh, Indian burial ground, oh, Shining... It's a very uncanny portrayal of like an abusive domestic relationship. And oh yeah, because he's gaslighting. And yeah, kind of he's like, he, oh no, I, I'm, I'm the man. And I'm, yeah, like this, I've established the facts of the situation, which I've just invented. Yes, and, and, uh, and conveyed to you. Yeah, there's like there's a really great sense. The authority, of, my voice. Yeah, like there's the, there's a sense throughout the film that like uh, Wendy is doing all of his work. Yeah. Um, and it's like, so you see Wendy checking the gas, you see Wendy radioing in, you see Wendy doing, uh, like, checking the pressure gauge and stuff, and Jack is just sitting there doing sweet nothing. Has she ever had a thought about my responsibilities? Yeah, there's that wonderful scene when, yeah, when she goes to confront Jack. She... I think this is when things are really going off the rails. Yeah. This, this is this... when uh, Dick Halloran is actually on his way back. Yeah. He, like, like... The, the, Time is really of the essence. The the child has indicated to him, like little does the child realize that he's uh, communicating with somebody who's, who's in, in an entirely different side of the country. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I better get on a flight straight away. If I was Dick Halloran, I'd be like, oh, damn it, they're probably dead. <laughs> back to what, if, uh, back. To, be, to be fair, yeah, Dick Halloran's rescue, as well-intentioned as it might seem, seems ill-thought-out. Like, for example, yeah. there's the bit where when he wants to borrow the snowplow, and the guy's like, why do you want to borrow a snowplow and head up there? Oh, yeah, and, he's, and he's Dick, like, well, you see, the problem is, is these, uh, these people we got to look after the hotel, but it turns out they're unreliable assholes. Which seems like a very passionate invention. And also, if he gets up there and nothing has gone wrong, how does he explain that? It's like, nope, turns out uh, everything's fine here. I'm just going to take the snowplow back. Turns out they're actually quite reliable assholes. But I love that. It's like, unreliable assholes. <laughs> just throw that in. I've been wanting to use that for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's like they, It's not like they had an emergency they called me to help. You can't or... rely on them not to kill each other. Yeah. That is the big problem here. Leave these white people alone <laughs> <laughs> for one month. 
and they're killing each other. And speaking of which, when you're talking about like the Native American stuff, it is notable that the the only real casualty is the uh, is the African American character, hmm. which is, is quite telling. And again, he's referred to using uh, a racial slur as well. Yeah, by Delbert Grady, which is interesting. Del, Del, Delbert Grady is the old caretaker. Who... He is, or he isn't. Or he isn't. I don't like. Gets kind of confusing. It is because 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 Jack is um, saying, um, "Oh, you're the you're the caretaker who butchered his family." It's like is that a fact? I don't recall that. I believe you are the caretaker, <laughs> and you have always been the caretaker. But not only that. I mean, when Olman refers to him earlier, he calls him Charles Grady as well, which is an interesting choice. So you sort of wonder: is it the same Grady? And I, lo- I love Nicholson's performance in that because you can see him sort of, you could see him putting the pieces together and it's like, how do I continue this conversation? And there's always a moment before he asks the next question where you can see like, he's slotted together and the way this conversation is going to go is the way he dictates it. So it's like, you, uh, you used to be the caretaker. He's like, no, I don't recall that. And then you see Nicholson pause, stare into the air, then lean in again and say, you a family man? Sort of, it's wonderful to watch. It's a great... One more thing. Yeah. Very Columbo. It's like the Columbo of ghost serial killers is is what this movie is, really. (laughs) Does that make Jack Nicholson the hero? No. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, So, yeah. Then, then, as we say, Dick Halloran arrives, is uh, swiftly butchered. Well, no, as, hold on, as, well, to be uh, fair, to be fair, it happens between... <laughs> yeah, there, between there is probably the, the most uh, memorable moment of the movie. <laughs> Somewhere between yeah, those where, points. Where, where, um... Well, okay, there are several things. Like, um, what's her name goes to... Wendy goes to confront... Um, Wendy goes to confront Jack with the baseball bat. Yeah. And he's coming at her up the stairs, which is probably not a good idea. Oh, and by the way... Um... Shelley's running around the house and uh, and suddenly um, she's lost her mind as well. Because um, she she did always seem a bit fragile and obviously she's 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 a an 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 abused uh, spouse. spouse. Yeah. But yeah, did um, I suppose? Well, will 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 we will 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 we get to the moment that I suppose yes, everybody's I, I think aware that's, of? Yes, I think I think we'll get to that in a moment. But I'm I'm thinking more in the moment the point where. Like he's, she's got the baseball bat and she's sort of, she's, he's chasing up the stairs and goading her, which when somebody's waving a baseball bat at you saying, give me the baseball bat, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Probably not the best negotiation tactic. No, no, it's, 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 it's in keeping with, <laughs> with his with, character as yeah, established. And the way, the way he talks to her, it's yeah. just like, my wife's give. it's like, oh, how's the wife, Jack? Oh, she's giving me a hard time. So I, I told her that I couldn't stand her very essence. And, and I threatened to murder her with a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how did that go? Oh, she hit me with it. Which was, which was not what I was expecting. Because yeah. I'm sure. horrible to her all the time. And she never hits me with anything. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's that wonderful moment where he's talking with the barkeeper. Like, I, one of the things I really like about Jack is how completely unself-aware he is. Yeah. Like there's that wonderful moment where he's talking to the barkeep and he's like, I wouldn't touch a hair on his little head. I love the little guy. <laughs> but this one time I used a little bit too much force. Yeah. Bop. It's like one foot per pound per second per second or whatever. Energy. Yeah. And pop. And you're like, okay, uh, maybe you should have thought that, that before you gave the monologue about how much you love him and would never hurt him. Yeah, they, so he's out, 
in 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 the cold press. Oh, and by the way, like these are these ghosts aren't just in their head in his head because they totally opened the door. Do they, Andrew? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do they, Andrew? Yes. Okay. I mean, you well, can... sorry. Is this a whole lot of, of uh, uh, fan theories that's not actually in the movie? Well, it's also entirely possible that he uses uh, ESP or telekinesis to what? open. <laughs> you didn't um, like for all that people argue that the film is a psychological horror, and it is. Kubrick uh, was apparently quite fond of the ESP elements of Kubrick. Um, for all that, like, but that's not ESP. That's, uh, uh, that's ESP is extrasensory perception. Yeah. So he, like the power of the mind. So telekinesis as well. Then. Right. Okay. So I think yeah, like which is interesting. At what point ever is it established that that Jack Nicholson has any psychic abilities whatsoever? Well, one might argue that his susceptibility to the hotel is sort of evidence enough, and the fact that Shining is genetic. Aside from the fact that there was another guy, <laughs> yes, who also had a, a genetic... few years ago, yeah, who, who may also have been shining. <sighs> You're reaching. <laughs> I am reaching, but I mean, here's the thing: like for all the like, King ranted and raved about Kubrick not liking the supernatural. I love this. Kubrick has a story that he likes to tell about why he believes in ESP. He had a cat named Polly, and every once in a while, the cat would come into his office. And he would shear the knots off her back with the scissors. And the cat hated that. And apparently it got to the stage where the cat could tell when he was thinking about shearing the knots off her back and would run away for no reason whatsoever. And that got Kubrick convinced about uh, ESP. It's not, not about micro-expressions or body language. Or... Yeah, or routine or schedule or anything like that. Okay. But that doesn't seem to suggest that uh, because... Because Stanley Kubrick taught that about his cat, that he um, decided, okay, Jack, for this scene, it's going to be as if there's these ghosts opening the door, but really you're opening it with your mind. So I want you to convey that through your performance, that you're, that you're um, controlling this latch on the door with your mind, but you think it's... Ooh, A ghost? What exactly is going on <laughs> there? It's like, it, it's, 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 either, it's either the ghosts... And, and it's part of his delusion, which is happening in his mind. But and it can't he, be if it's he, really opening. It can't no, be all... He's, it can't he's be imagining delusion. these people um, opening the door. Is that the way his telekinesis works? Well, I mean, that like, rather, mind, rather, rather than him, mind, him, him, him having this power to move the door, but instead of doing that, he invents people who come along and open the door for him. But keep him. in mind that Danny invents a person to communicate ideas to him that he can't fathom or process. Danny invents Tony in order to explain to him things that he cannot explain. But so that, who's to say that... That's nothing to do with The Shining either. Because it makes no sense <laughs> to... To, to, to go holler at the, the, the expert. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, I think um, it's okay that this movie doesn't make sense. No, I, I, think, I, I think it's I think strength pe- is in people it. can kind of nerd out and I guess... And, Try sort of like make theories, and it could be this way or it could be that. Why way. are you looking at me when you're saying this? No, no, I'm 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 looking at the computer where the internet lives. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's um, like it can be. I guess it can be infuriating because you're wondering like what what what's what, what's happening, what's going on. But, uh, but I think that's more unsettling somehow. I like I think I'm a big fan of like I suspect this is something where you and I differ. I think well I I I think there can. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe part of the strength of it is how much kind of argument it can it generate. Can generate. Yeah, 
Because what you said just there made no sense to me whatsoever. But it came from you. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. And now, now we're going to talk about how uh, The Shining is secretly an apology from Stanley Kubrick for faking the moon landings. Oh, yes. Yeah, which, yeah. Which is actually a real theory, by the way. Um, there's a, a documentary from um, Asher. Uh, where I believe he, you, Dan. You, you believe me. Where the some people who have maybe a little bit too much time on their hands and perhaps oh, reliable are, assholes. <laughs> yeah, yes, that is that is perhaps who they are. They argue that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing and that this was his secret confession. So, for example, you have like the Indian uh, illustrations on the wall where Jack writes are all arrows pointing upwards. There's a scene where um, uh, Danny is yeah Danny is sitting down playing with his cars and then a ball rolls up to him, which is meant to represent Earth. And he stands uh, up with his Apollo 11 shirt on. Uh, and it gets better, Andrew. It gets better. Apparently, according to this theory, Stanley Kubrick was murdered by the Illuminati. Worse. Murdered by the Illuminati when he revealed their secret sex orgies in Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Uh, in fairness, uh, Kubrick had, had no right to reveal those secrets. Yeah. That's... That, 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 like, I... I I don't like to talk about the Illuminati, but... That they deserve their privacy. Yeah. It's, 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 some things are sacred. Yes, like, like Illuminati sex orgies. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I think it's, it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating to see how people piece... And I think that's like the appeal of The Shining, is that you can piece it together in ways... Like, um... So yeah, he's locked in the cupboard. He gets out uh, through some mechanism or other. Oh, and, and then there's another 250 hallmark, which is the Jurassic Park true line. <laughs> uh, with with uh, with Danny hiding in the uh, stainless steel cupboard in the kitchen, um, which is, is yeah, which is great because we were talking about Stanley Kubrick to- as uh, sorry Steven Spielberg talking about it on the special features, and he's like, I watched it the first time. There were some things I liked. I mostly didn't care for it. And just when Danny goes hiding, you can see you can imagine like younger Spielberg going, yes, but what if instead of Jack Nicholson, who I don't like performing in this film, it's a Velociraptor? Sold. Because there is, he goes and he hides under the under the cupboard and stuff. Yeah, that's it's that point where um, there's the here's Johnny scene, which is iconic. You know that that took something like twenty seven takes. I can believe that Stanley Kubrick um, does like to um, to have plenty of takes, doesn't yeah, he? He does. Apparently, what happens like infuriatingly is, for some. Yeah, that's it. So it's sort of like breaking the actor in that this is interesting. We talk about this when we talk about Tarkovsky. Where it's like, what happens when you go from being like interested to being bored to being a special kind of interested? It's like that, but with performers. So it's like their first five takes, they're into it. Their next five takes, they're like a little worn out and tired. Next five takes, they're bored. And then, then you get the here's Johnny moments. And the, the um, contrast there is, is, is that I contended that Tarkovsky didn't take very many... Um, <laughs> takes yes he just took whatever he could going in yeah. but i mean uh um, so that guy dropped something it stays in the picture <laughs> yeah but uh, well you know that apparently it was a nightmare for duval like apparently jack nicholson and danny lloyd had great times working you could never film. tell by looking at her. <laughs> yeah. she looked perfectly relaxed and sane olive oil is losing her money <laughs> yeah. but i mean it is it's like she's phenomenal in it and she really is and when the film came out um, she was she was asked basically so terrified and broken. Yeah, well, Roger Ebert asked her about filming it, and uh, what was it like working with Kubrick? 
And you imagine the stock answer is it was a dream. He was a fantastic director. It was wonderful. It was a lifetime ambition. It was a nightmare. I wanted to die. Pretty much. Almost unbearable, she said. Going through that day <laughs> after day of excruciating work. Jack Nicholson's character had to be crazy and angry on the time. My character had to cry 12 hours a day, all day long. The last, the last nine months straight, five or six days a week. I was there a year and a month. After all that work, hardly anybody criticised my performance in it. Even to mention it, it seemed like the reviews were all about Kubrick. Like, I wasn't there. Which is, you know, you do feel like she is phenomenal in it. Yeah. And, I, and even, like, even though Nicholson does outshine her because everybody thinks of the Here's Johnny moment. Or we talk about his expressive eyebrows. She is. She's very, very good. Yeah, let, let's take a moment to give some love to Shelley Duvall. No, she really is. Um, she's phenomenal. Yeah. And I mean, there's something about the way that she she runs. There's like, you get a sense of how vulnerable she is. That she's been sort of picked on, preyed upon by by Jack. Like that she's been sort of. Like, I think there's a through line of the film about like American masculinity and self image and stuff. Like this idea of what a man does and how a man acts and like. You're the caretaker, I think Grady says to uh, to Nicholson at one point, or to Torrance at one point. And it's yes. like, so your responsibility is to take care of your family and to keep them in line and provide for them. Take care of them. In the yeah. mafia sense. Interpret that anyway. Yeah. Like. Was it, I, I corrected them. <laughs> like, okay. It sounds like you gave them the snip. <laughs> but, they were humping the couches. <laughs> but yeah, so it does have that sort of... Uh, and apparently, yeah. So she, yeah, she's running through, and and she's she's fi- <laughs> the hotel is the <laughs> Kubrick has finally gotten her wish, uh, uh, his wish, and she she has truly lost her mind. Yeah, um, and the hotel is like Stanley well, Kubrick actually to get that shot, put a camera inside her head, <laughs> and there, there's yeah, she she's she's now seeing people, and there's 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 this person dressed up as a lion giving some tough blowjob. Yeah. There's, there's, there's um, a guy with his skull cracked open, or is it meant to be Grady with his head blown off? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's, but he's got blood trickling over his face. Like hell of a party, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and there's a lobby full of skeletons and stuff like that. There's a sense that the like either she has completely lost her mind at this point, or the hotel is just like ah, we only get to do this once every ten years. Presumably at the point that she sees Dick Halloran butchered, she's like, oh no, <laughs> another hallucination. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank God he's okay. We'll call him when we get down to be sure. Uh, we know that there was originally a cut of the, the film. Like Kubrick meticulously edited this film. He ended it during its release. So there was an he, ending. Every every uh, every take that he got Jack Nicholson to do, he he he, he also got um, Scatman Crothers to deliver the same lines. <laughs> Is that what you're going to tell me? No, sadly no. I would, it, it would be interesting if there, if there was an entire edit of this movie. <laughs> Where uh, O'Halloran said, here's Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. But, um, no, there's, there was... So, basically, when it was released, there was an extra 25 minutes worth of material in it. But he was cutting stuff from the film even at its opening weekend. So, for example, after its opening weekend, he cut a two-minute scene from the end of the film where Mr. Ullman visits Danny and uh, Wendy in hospital to make sure they're okay. Uh, that that was an epilogue that was in the finished cut of the film as it was originally released. But on the Monday after the opening weekend, Kubrick was like, actually, can you send somebody around to all the cinemas in Los Angeles that cur- and New York that currently have this and just cut that snippet out because I don't really like it? And then between the release of the, the US version and the UK version, which was, I think, five months, he basically cut another 25 minutes out of the film, which is sort of fascinating. It's something that would never happen today because everything's released simultaneously. And, you know, if you do have an edit, it's the director's cut on DVD or Blu-ray. It's yeah. not like... 
ah, I saw this weekend. I'd like to trim that scene a little bit. <laughs> it's really just a first draft that we sort of release into theaters and sort of see how it goes. Yeah, but, but how 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 many people have seen this movie? It's like more 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 than the moon landing. <laughs> That was my triumph. No, don't worry. It's like, I wanted to make something more commercially successful after I did the moon landing. How do I build on that? Yeah. I like the idea... Surely he wouldn't have that problem if he had done (laughs) the moon landing. Yeah, you imagine that. Well, isn't that the point that people make? It's like, he did this incredible thing, but he never got the credit he felt he deserved. (laughs) And spent the rest of his career hinting at it. It's like Wag the Dog. Yes. (laughs) What's the opposite of Occam's Razor? Um... (laughs) Kubrick's Kubrick's moon landing is. It's called Wake Up Sheeple. Yes, that. I, I saw uh, some. Oh, uh, some somebody I know you use use that. Sheeple, unironically. Use 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 that phrase. What seemed like unironically, wake up sheeple. Are you sure it wasn't like meta irony? Like that? maybe it was meta irony, and if it was, you got me. Irony, irony. Yeah. But um. So yeah, they they run into there is a garden maze. In, which is amazing. Movie, which is amazing. You promised me you were going to tell me they there is an aerial view of 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 this uh, maze. So there's a sequence early on, like around the one month mark, where Jack is starting to lose his mind and he's leaning over the head a model of the hedge maze I think in the this lobby. This might be where where Stuart Ullman is still about. Is it? Oh, it might be. Okay. They're exploring. Yeah. Okay, and he okay, but Jack is still losing his mind because he's losing his mind from the moment he appears on camera. But he sort of stands over the hedge maze, and you cut to this wonderful, very high shot of the camera, sort of zooming in on what look like uh, Wendy and Danny as ants moving from an angle that is far too far up to have been a crane shot. So the way that it was done was the production team found designed the hedge maze that they wanted uh, in terms of the model that they used. I, I'm not sure if it's the model that they used for the. Uh, for the lobby it scene. seems far too intricate to be an actual uh, thing that exists as well. Well, here's the thing. Some of it does. The, they actually found a hedge maze that existed by, a, by an apartment building. And so they went up to the top floor of the apartment building and shot over the top of the top balcony. Uh, but they then edited it in post, the rest of the maze around it. So the scene of, of Danny and Wendy walking in the middle is from a real hedge maze. Uh, oh, but it's, okay. it's ended around basically an animated or a modelled shot. I mean, the entire hedge maze was built, not the entire one, a portion of the hedge maze was built to scale, and it's shot with a wide-angle lens to make it seem bigger than it is. Um, so, like, the, the hedge is not 13 feet tall. It's, it's like, 10 or 11. Oh. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's some wonderful... In order to make the hedge maze seem bigger, they decided to put a child in the movie. Yes, that was the whole reason Danny was in it. There was no other purpose. But, I mean, yeah, well, we talk a little bit about, like, Kubrick's craft because we, you know, we're probably not going to do it justice. But I mean, like how Kubrick puts stuff together and like how good the film looks because the film looks amazing. It it's, really does. It's incredible. Like we spoke about the opening shots, but like the the color choices um, yeah. in this as well. I think we mentioned that briefly when we were talking about the the Godfather when we when we when 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 we were just. Discussing another movie, I think a week or two ago, Annie Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 we mentioned the Godfather, and the uh, the color of that movie. The color is uh, used in this movie. The um, kind of scarlet wallpaper that makes you think of the blood when when in the, the blood isn't isn't um, coming out. Like. Yeah, 
and um, well it's it's gold and red are the big themes and it's great because when they're yeah. walking through like Wendy's like I love the pink and gold that you got going here yeah. and Owen's like yeah you you probably grow to like it a bit less because <laughs> um, it is because it's like the, the gold room is where he goes and he has the nostalgic sort of vision of a 20s party or it's the yeah. the red walls or even the red bathroom yeah which is something oh it's astonishing yeah. yeah which is something I think they used in the first episode of Hannibal they use a similar red bathroom scene with uh, Lawrence Fishburne because it is it's a striking visual I mean, the whole thing looks great, but I mean, it's also one of the first films to use Steadicam as well. It's not, yes, it's yeah, not the it's, first, but it's one of the first. I think Halloween used it first. Follow, following around Danny on his little tricycle. Yeah, because apparently they tried doing it by hand and the, the basically the cameraman got tired after three minutes of following this. Uh, there, yeah. there are moments where the distance between the camera and the tricycle... Um, comes and goes. Comes and goes, yeah. So like it it's um it it I guess it comes across that maybe this isn't something that they have uh, to a perfect science. Yeah. Either that or it's difficult to get a child <laughs> to go at the same speed. Yeah. yeah. No, there are there is these these wonderful shots like Kubrick does a lot of like Kubrick's generally seen as a cold director. He's generally seen as and that's sort of what King talked about. And Shelley Duvall would agree. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I think King argues that, for example, at the end of the novel, he blows up the hotel, whereas King has uh, Jack freeze to death. And that's, that proves why Stephen King is a warm writer and why uh, Stanley Kubrick is a cold filmmaker. Uh, for somebody who's sold that many books, Stephen King doesn't really have the grip on metaphors, I think. No. But... Um, the way that Q- I think one of the reasons why Kubrick is regarded as so cold is because, like Fincher, he uses Steadicam a lot, and you see that in The Shining, for example. Like, there's lots of tracking shots, and they're tracking shots where they don't need to be tracking shots. So, for example, like when Ullman's giving the tour of the hotel, or when Holleran's walking to the kitchen, there's no reason not to cut around the conversation. But Kubrick holds it just because he can. Or even like, um, obviously, the cycle is was one example, but there's a number of points where Kubrick uses both a tracking shot and a zoom shot to be particularly like uncomfortable or uncanny it's like when danny you know when when um when jack has his nightmare and he's like he's talking to wendy he's like i had the worst dream it's the worst nightmare i ever had i hacked you to death to bits that made me feel terrible please comfort me and danny walks in bruised and covered from room 237 yeah but the way that works is the camera tracks danny but it zooms in because Danny's getting gradually closer and closer to, to Wendy and Jack. So you get this sort of wonderful, it's at once a tracking shot, and it's also a slow zoom in on the pair as well, which is something that Kubrick again uses at the very end, which is very uncanny, where the camera zooms across the gold room to the wind, the picture on the wall opposite. Yeah. Uh, and it's all very steady, and it's all very unnaturally. It's not handheld, it's not shaky. I, I, I was thinking about a shot as well where... Um, the scene we were talking about with the spooky continuity error, where the, where the um, uh, probably not a continuity error, possibly a choice. Oh, no, where the chairs disappear yeah, where, and stuff. Where, where the chairs disappear. The edit on that seems a lot like, well, obviously there's two cameras. What, I, what occurred to me is, is this kind of getting across how different these two people operate and how little connection yeah. they 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 have to each other it seem it's it it seems as if they're kind of in their own sort little of world yeah exactly yeah, well, they, there is. They, 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 yeah they, um the the shots seem very discreet yeah yeah no, no they definitely do and i mean there's there's several scenes like that where like jack seems like a conversation yeah it's kind of cut across 
Like, it does seem like they could almost be in two different rooms. Yeah. And there's a number of points like that where, like, Jack is staring at the camera and laughing. Like, when he first sees Lloyd. Yeah. Like, there's a moment where he seems to be staring at the camera at the audience, and he does this wonderful Jack Nicholson thing where the eyebrows go up and the mouth goes open, and he lets out this sort of laugh. It's like the audience are seeing Jack yeah. when, when, um, and, and then, and then we're seeing through his eyes when we see Lloyd. Yeah. So we can, it, um, when we see Jack, we see, oh, um, Jack is crazy. And then we see through a crazy person's eyes. Yeah. And all of a sudden Lloyd's there and there's alcohol. Yeah. But to, to, to Jack, it seems like, oh, this is reality. This is perfectly normal. Yeah. And I mean, we'll probably finish up, we'll probably wrap up, it's getting quite late, but I mean, yeah. the, uh. I love, there's this recurring motif of like mirrors and stuff and how carefully Kubrick puts stuff together. So there are lots of mirrors in lots of, lots of different scenes, but noticeably what you see in the mirrors is very tightly controlled. So for example, um, scenes where like Wendy is pacing back or forth anxiously, she always stops just short of appearing in the mirror, for example. Or when Danny goes over to get the, the lipstick to write red rum standing by the mirror, he doesn't appear in the mirror either. Whereas on the other hand, Jack, Jack tends to appear quite frequently in mirrors as if to suggest he's been sort of like trapped or he's, he's sort of become part of the scenery. So for example, when he's doing the bit where he's after uh, Wendy's accused him of hurting Danny, he does a little thing and apparently he modeled it on drunk people in uh, New York. Kubrick told him to think of like drunks who like do the, they do like a big shrug with the body and a rant and, and all this sort of stuff as he was walking. But as he's walking, you can see his reflection, his reflection almost appears to be ahead of him because of where the camera's positioned. And then later on, when, or earlier, when, he's, when she brings the eggs sunny side up, she is shot in, in like straight up. So she's shot looking at the camera. He is shot primarily through the mirrors. And you can see it in the, the writing on his t-shirt that he's sleeping in, which kind of does add this sort of, there's this weird dreamlike quality to it. And I think it's sort of like with the labyrinth and with the maze, there's this almost sort of mythic primal fear, like, which I, I think sort of drips like this almost fairy tale quality to the film. Which is, for somebody, for a director who's considered very cold, I think is, is quite striking. So, was Jack there the whole oh, time? It's <laughs> Jack and What was that about? What? I don't think... I think we could be here probably all, all night, night yeah, discussing, like, how... how why, what is Jack? Yes. What is his purpose? Uh, what is he doing? No, I just, the mirrors, as I watched this time, the, the composition and the, like the positioning of the mirrors sort of struck me because they're always there to put Jack. Jack is always in the mirrors, whereas Wendy and Danny tend to be out of the mirrors. And the mirrors then are obviously, they, they provide, uh, what's her name, Wendy, with the, the clue that he's not writing Red Rum. Don't worry. He's just writing Murder. Yeah. Uh, you were quite upset at how inconsistently he wrote mir- Murder backwards. It's like, because he put the oars face, the two oars facing different directions. I could take your point as well about how that, it looked. Um, it makes it even more sort of uncanny. Yeah, I feel. I feel like um, either either it just looked better like that, or um, the child remembered halfway through that he was supposed <laughs> to be writing backwards. And Kubrick wasn't going to put a kid through another twenty three takes. No, no, he's not a monster. No, I, I, I um, there was some. Yeah, Jack Nicholson was really, really given the kind of license to do pretty much like his. This his is the most thing. Jack Nicholson performance sort of this side of the joke. Probably yeah. he has this blubbering scene in in the maze where where he's like, "Wanna, wanna, wanna, wanna," and then he's he's like broken his 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 ankle, so he's kind of moving weird, and then he's. 
it's like he's he's seen a lot of people at parties like who've taken ketamine and he's like and it's like it's like he's being actually frozen <laughs> you're watching the but, process yeah happen, yeah right? it's 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 like slowly kind of like his 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 limbs are starting to stick together or something <laughs> This is what's playing out. My lips are Wonder. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then... It yeah. stays in the picture. <laughs> yeah, leave it in. Those are the deals. Uh, yeah, no, it is the most Jack Nicholson performance, I think, of any of his performances this side of the Joker. It's like, it's like Kubrick looked at like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Easy Rider and said, look, can you do that? But more. Um, I want that, but louder. And by the way, we we've we've spoken about releasing this. If 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 um if anyone actually does end up listening to this before the next episode, please do uh, send. I, I think there's no longer going to be any such thing as Vine anymore. But oh. it, no, it, 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 yeah, I think it's it, closing down. I saw this. By, by the time we release this, nobody will remember what Vine was. <laughs> yeah, but gifts. Um, send us if, gifts if, if you can send a gif of, of your Jack Nicholson impersonation <laughs> put us to shame we'd, we'd be happy to play it yeah. on the next episode if <laughs> which may be in 2018 <laughs> yeah so I guess uh, we sort of talked through the film so I mean we, we move on to the well, talking about the ranking yeah well I mean yeah so that's sort of because this is this is a special episode so it's not we're not Comparing it to anything that happened last week or this week, we're not going to do the in and out chart. Let's just talk about how The Shining ranks uh, on the IMDb top 250 movies uh, of all time and basically where it deserves to be. And maybe like your own preference, horror movie wise, and uh, maybe even like how you feel. I'm looking forward to, to maybe seeing uh, the thing perhaps next Halloween. Should, yeah. should, 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 we, we, land on should it. we be disqualifying? Um, the thing from the things from 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 being watched any other time other than Halloween. no. Well, if we if we land on the thing, then next Halloween we'll just do the Revenant. <sighs> you have angered me there. <laughs> you haven't seen the Revenant, but you have strong opinions on the matter. Welcome to the two fifty. I'm your host, Darren Solo. So, Darren, what do you think about The Shining as it fit in the idea? All right, bye. So it's currently at number 59, Andrew. Does that seem about right? So it's uh, above Wally, above The Dark Knight Rises, below Django, below Cinema Paradiso. I haven't seen Django. You haven't um, seen Django? I haven't seen Django. Um, I mean, That's it shouldn't should should be apparent to anyone, even the people listening to this podcast for the first time, <laughs> know that Darren is the one who's here for movies. I am the one who is here to eat wings. <laughs> and joke about Jack Nicholson. No, we both joke about Jack Nicholson. All right, yeah, so it's it's below Cinema uh, Paradiso. I love Cinema Paradiso. It's below um, Doctor Strange. Love if we're going in terms of Kubrick uh, Kubrick films, you know. I don't have a problem with that. No, I I um, I I have great love for Doctor Strange, and I think part of that was that I had always wanted to see Doctor Strange Love before I did, and there were years where I was trying to where I would check. The TV guide oh. to see if it remember was that. on. Yeah, remember that when you actually when yeah. you didn't have like five hundred channels on Netflix. Yeah, and you had to actually wait for something to appear. I, or, or if I was in a an extra vision, I would look for it, and it would never be there because no. it's an old film. Yeah, 
that sort of gets to my second question then. So how would you rank The Shining as a Stanley Kubrick film? So like, I mean, is it, is it, it's obviously not your favourite if you prefer Doctor Strange Love. But how would you compare it to, say, 2001 Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon? I'd, I'd compare it favourably to um, 2001, okay. uh, which is number 69. Number 89, it's, it's 89. lower, yeah. Ah. Barry Lyndon is Barry down. Lyndon is 225. I'd say it's better than those two. I'm, 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 Space Odyssey. Um, it's above a Clockwork Orange as well, actually. Would I wonder think? about that. I mean, well, I like the book and I like the movie for um, different reasons. Yeah, for 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 a Clockwork Orange. Would I? Would I? Would I put this above a Clockwork Orange? Let me see this. Oh, it's going to be a difficult one. I would. I would put Doctor Strange Love above it, though. That would be your best Kubrick film. I think uh, I'm not. Definitively saying that it's better, but it's just for one you prefer. Yeah, yeah, it's one. And I, I argue The Shining is my favorite Kubrick film. Like I, I love Kubrick a lot. I don't love him as much as much as like bona fides or the cinephiles do. Yeah, uh, I do find him a little cold in places. What, someone who's seen Django, um, yeah, better work. Better, better than Django. I would like The Shining would be in my top twenty, top thirty films ever yeah. made. This is uh, just a kind of recency bias that yeah. Django is above it. It is, I suspect. Well, I like Django People like uh, Tarantino, I guess. Yeah. IMDb users, certainly. They certainly do. Uh, most of his films are in there. But, I mean, yeah, the thing for me with Kubrick is that you get the sense that Kubrick really hates people. Like, that, that's the recurring sense when you watch Kubrick films, is that Kubrick doesn't like human beings. Like, in, in 2001, like, he believes that the beginning, the dawn of man was the point at which we figured out we could use clubs to beat other people, for, you know, to beat other people to death, for example. You know, I think even the horrors of, say, uh, Full Metal Jacket or something like that, or uh, Clockwork Orange. I or Doctor Strange, though. Yeah, the it's nihilism. Like, we're all going to kill each other. Yeah. Because we're fools. Yeah. And I think, yeah, Kubrick's... We've set up this madness. Yeah. And it's going to break down. Yeah. But I think, yeah, Kubrick's fascination is like the breakdown of social order. So stuff like in The Shining, it's the breakdown of the family unit in... Um, Eyes Wide Shut is the breakdown of a marriage. In, in Doctor Strange Love, it's the breakdown of mutually assured destruction. You know? Um, I think there's a cynicism to Kubrick's work that I don't respond to. Uh, and I feel like this is something that any that series... That doesn't surprise me. Really? No. Okay. No, I, 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 feel, I feel like cynicism is, 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 is something that, that, that wouldn't sit well with you. Okay. This is the bit where I say I like Steven Spielberg better, and everybody laughs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I, 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 because we we were watching. Um, <laughs> yes, we were watching special features. Special features where Steven Spielberg, um, didn't like Jack Nicholson in this because he thought he was too over the top, and he's like. Stanley Kubrick oh, said, "Name your favorite. Name actor. your five favorite actors." And he was pretty much like Spencer Tracy, Cary Grant, Spencer <laughs> Tracy. He he named the most. Generic. Kind of vanilla, generic um, Hollywood actors that that you could possibly think of. And yeah. This is the man who cast Tom Hanks at every opportunity. It's, oh, yeah. It's just, just to put this in context. And I love Tom Hanks as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is sort of the difference between Kubrick and Spielberg. Uh, it's very much that, yeah, Spielberg. Kubrick is the guy who goes, you didn't list uh, James, Cagney. James Cagney. Which I think says a lot about what, how he cast the role of Jack Torrance. Yeah, it's like... Um... It's like Steven Spielberg sets out to make uh, Kellogg's Cornflakes movies. I, uh, sorry, that's maybe. <laughs> I thought you liked Jaws. 
I, I do I do love Jaws, but it, it, it's a very conventional it is, movie no. With, no, it is. with 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 like a lot of and it's not just that we've seen it all before because Jaws seen, seen it first because yeah. we've seen so many Spielberg movies. There is something very familiar and conventional yeah, about, about, about Spielberg. Spielberg's movies. Spielberg does like he taps into an Americana, which which I love. Yeah. So this is we're talking about Stephen Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like but yeah, that is why I don't think I respond to Kubrick as much as other people do. So, other than that, uh, I think that's it for this Halloween. Uh, you can tweet us at uh, your gifts or your vines or your YouTubes of choice of Jack Nicholson impersonations at Darren underscore Mooney. And... Oh, by the way, have a look at Darren's uh, movie reviews. I feel like we should probably do like a quick two-minute roundup at the end of these podcasts. <laughs> where it's like, what movies did you see, Darren, this week? Did you see The Accountant? I know, I'm seeing The Accountant on Wednesday. Ah, because the, the October deadline is coming. So yes, you can tweet me at Darren underscore Mooney and you can tweet Andrew at... Uh, A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A. Cool. Um, I'm tweeting a lot about Saturn today. This is our theme word. Saturn. So if you tweet at Andrew using Saturn, he'll know that you listen to the podcast. Yeah, or you've been reading my tweets. All right, take it easy, guys. Have a good Halloween.